You're now tuned in to The Investor Show, where we teach simple wealth creation for the common investors with investment advisor, award-winning author, international speaker, and founder of Royal Financial Investment Group, Prince Dykes. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here live in Denver, Colorado. I'm your host, the Prince of Investing, Prince Dykes, coming all the way live from the beautiful state of Denver, Colorado. Thank you guys for tuning in, wherever you may be around the world. And for the people that may catch the podcast or the playback across the globe, don't forget to check us out. Thank you guys for tuning in. But as always, I don't have a lot of time, and I definitely know you guys and girls don't have a lot of time, so we're going to jump straight into it. So today's show... We have a very, very special guest, and as you guys can see in the description box for the people that catch the playback, we're going to be talking about REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust. If you guys haven't heard about them, we're going to be talking about what they are, how to invest in them, how they work, all the other great stuff, how, you know, the ways you can build wealth with them, all the other great stuff, right? But as always, we have a very, 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 very special guest today with us live. He's calling in all the way from uh, South Carolina, and... His name is Mr. Brad Thomas. So let me give you guys a little bit of, about Mr. Thomas, why he's an expert. Over 25 years in the uh, real estate investment trust world, he also is the author of two books. Make sure I got these right. It's The Trump Factor, Unlocking the Secrets Behind the Trump Empire, The Intelligent REIT Investor, has over 25 years in investing in REITs, and he also is the Forbes uh, Real Estate Investment Trust Editor. So without and also he he managed close to a billion dollars in either uh, investing or financing into real estate investment trusts. So without further ado, let me introduce my guest to you, Mr. Brad Thomas. How you doing today, Mr. Thomas? Hey, Prince, doing great, and it's great to be on your show. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, you know you're doing a great job, by the way. So just keep it up. Oh, definitely. Thank you. Now, for I hope I didn't butcher your uh, intro there too bad, but uh, no, you didn't. <laughs> but for the people out there who you know who want to get want to hear you talk about yourself a little bit, tell them who is Mr. Brad Thomas. For the people out there who haven't known you, who haven't seen you across the world on NBC, you know the Foxes, the CNBC, all the great stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, Prince, I think you did, you certainly didn't botch it. The only thing I would. I would add is I do have a co-author. Uh, so the, the second book you mentioned is called The Intelligent Read Investor. That's a, absolutely right. I do have a co-author uh, with that book. Her name is Stephanie Cruz and Kelly. She's a great partner and a co-author. Um, she's got you know years, uh, over two decades of experience in real estate investing. So that book uh, we published about a year and a half ago, Prince, and it's done extremely well. Um, that book has now used a number of uh, real estate classrooms around the country. Uh, such as Cornell, uh, Wharton, uh, NYU, uh, Georgetown University, and a number of other uh, large and small real estate schools that have a real estate focus. So, so obviously, it's great to, uh, you know, to be an author of that book. We also had that very book translated in China, believe it or not, uh, mm. where there are, if you can imagine, uh, you know, literally millions of investors that are looking to gain access into the U.S. real estate market. So, so I'm uh, really proud of that book. The second book uh, was also published around the same time, 2016. I will tell you, not to be political, because I know we're mm -hmm. talking finance, but that book uh, was published a month before President uh, Trump was elected. Uh, and uh, it's been a very special book for me. 
In fact, I've been in close con uh, contact with the President of the United States and uh, as early as this week. So uh, it's really given me a, a great platform. Uh, and again, my focus is on real estate investing, and that's really all I've done, and that's all I all I really know, except for the little known secret, which you and I just talked about before the show, which is wrapping, which I promise you I won't get on that uh, here on this show today. <laughs> definitely, you know, very impressive. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely glad to have you stop by today and, uh, you know, take your time out of your busy schedule to uh, uh, stop by and give our audience something and to educate the audience and share your knowledge and to hear from someone like yourself. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask you was for the people out there who haven't heard of this before, what is a real estate investment trust? What is a REIT? Sure. So a REIT is an acronym and it does stand for, you're absolutely right. Uh, you got an A today, a real estate investment trust. Um, and really, when you look back at the, at the REIT, we call it REIT. It's, it, it, it's actually a good word to wrap with there, friends, because, you know, REIT, B, sweet, you know, a number of words that rhyme with, with that. But uh, and anyway, and I'll actually write articles about these sweet REITs and stuff like that. So uh, obviously titles are very important to writing. Um, but, uh, but, but really, REITs uh, really commenced in 1960 uh, during the Eisenhower administration. So, you know, it's over 50 years, almost 60 years of, of really legislation that's been on the books and 60 years of history. Um, so it's not a new asset class. This particular uh, asset class has been around quite a long time. Uh, and REITs are publicly traded companies. They're, they're uh, you know, I cover, um, I cover meaning I research over 150 different U.S. Uh, stocks, real estate stocks. Uh, again, publicly traded, full liquidity on, on the New York Stock Exchange or the or NASDAQ. And so the advantages of owning REITs are really a couple. Number one. I, I, going back, I said again, the history. You've got such a long uh, history of time that you can rely on, and REITs have gone through various economic cycles, so we kind of see how those are performing. In fact, you know, this cycle we're in right now is a rising rate environment, so this is nothing new. I keep reminding my subscribers and followers and readers, you know, every every day that, you know, real, the interest rates, uh, we're probably going to see another increase this week with the Fed, um, another modest increase. Is nothing new. We've gone through various cycles like this before. So that's number one. Secondly, I mentioned liquidity. You have full liquidity. So you can sit, unlike, say, a rental house, which you mm -hmm. may invest in, or a, a, you know, a piece of commercial property, it's not liquid. If you want to sell your duplex or your rental house or your apartment building or whatever, you know, it's not liquid. You have to go, you have to find a broker generally, and you have to find a buyer, and you have to find a meeting of the minds, and then they have to find the bank, and then then you have a liquidity event. However, with REITs, it's a publicly traded stock, so you have full liquidity. You can buy and sell every day, whatever you know, as little as a dollar. It doesn't take you know the, the the barrier to entry is very very small. All it takes is one share of stock to buy any company. So you know it's it's uh, it's full liquidity. The other thing that that REITs offer is really the diversification attributes. You know, Prince, I was a developer for about twenty years, and I had business partners and. We built a lot of different types of real estate, shopping centers primarily in the southeast where I where I live. But um, but you know we didn't have the diversification. You know I had all of my eggs in one basket. So mm. the great thing about investing in REITs is you can create a very diversified portfolio. If you want to have exposure to say um, you know companies that are located on the west coast, which is a great market to invest in right now, and mm. especially Denver where you are, but even out on the on the coastal markets like L.A. and you know, California and Washington and Oregon, those are great markets. Well, living here in South Carolina, I can invest in, in that market, in any of those markets. 
whether they're shopping centers or apartment buildings or office buildings. Uh, so you can build a diversified portfolio uh, within the REIT space, very diversified across geographies, but also across various property types. So one thing that really excites me about REITs is you've got so many different um, opportunities to invest in these companies and these various sectors. So, you know, years ago, Prince, there were the primary, you know, sector, real estate sectors, which I mean by that is apartments and office buildings and shopping centers and malls. But now over the years, and really over the last really 10 to 20 years, thanks in large part to technology, you can invest in a growing number of real estate property sectors, such as data centers, cell towers, infrastructure, which would be fiber optic lines. Uh, you can invest in uh, even prison today. There are two prison REITs. If you want to invest, mm. that's not an asset class I'm particularly interested in, <laughs> but there are two companies that you know invest in, 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 in prisons of all things. And wow. you can really just think about all any types of real estate that can be securitized um, you can create a read for that subject. So again, that, that's a long, it's a very long glowing list of companies that provides individual investors. That's what the laws were meant for, for it's not for big institutional investors or big bankers. The, the REIT laws were created in 1960. Again, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower uh, enacted the, the legislation to provide the individual investor, average Joe, average Jane, access to institutionally held commercial real estate. So it's a great it's a great sector. It's two trillion dollars of, of real estate that is being held in the U.S. alone. So it's a very large sector, has plenty of liquidity and there's tremendous amount of opportunity, especially today uh, in terms of buying REITs. OK, now that was a very, very intense answer that you gave there. You spoke about diversification. You spoke about ways you even gave the pros and cons. Uh, per se, to physical real estate versus, um, you know, owning a REITs. You're saying, hey, you know, you can, the, the liquidity, for people out there who don't know what liquidity is, liquidity is the ability to be able to sell and get your money out. For prime example, if I brought a duplex, if I wanted to sell my duplex, I had to get a broker, I had to find a seller at the right price, all of the great stuff like that, negotiate to be able to get the profit off of my hand versus a REIT that's treated like a stock where you can just go in and hit the sell button and uh, liquidate your position or whatnot. Now, the thing to speak about that, you spoke about diversification. Hey, I'm on the East Coast. I want to get into the hot market of Denver. You know, people like to call it the green rush here. Um, the hot market of Hawaii or any other asset class out there. What are the cons with investing into real estate investment trusts? What are the cons of, uh, of REITs that you would say? Well, again, I think uh, like any public stock, that's probably the biggest, you know, is volatility because, you know, is, is uh, you know, Benjamin Graham, you know, for those of you who don't know, or maybe some of you do know, Benjamin Graham was the, of course, um, you know, teacher and really mentor for, for Warren Buffett. And uh, in his book, The Intelligent Investor, so now you see where I copied my book, The Intelligent Elite <laughs> Investor, but in, in, in the book, The Intelligent Investor, Benjamin Graham really talks about, you know, Mr. Market, and that is the volatility of the market. You know, Mr. Market, who uh, Benjamin Graham likes to like to utilize as a, a reference as a as a human being, which really doesn't exist. But if the market, Mr. Market, wakes up every day and he's going to value every share of publicly traded company. He's going to value Coca-Cola. He's going to value Colgate uh, Palmolive. He's going to value all these publicly traded REITs that we're talking about. 
And so that's one of the biggest risks is you have this volatility, which is really Mr. Market and his ir sometimes irrational decision-making process that can, can uh, create more volatility for an investor. So we saw that specifically, uh, for instance, in 2008, 2009. So I'm sure if you own real estate or any uh, uh, viewers uh, were in real estate, uh, residential or commercial in 2008 and 2009, you, you know exactly what I'm referring to. And you know the pain that was involved when you looked at your, your portfolio, your stock portfolio and saw the shares uh, you know, get decimated. You also saw the same thing on the private side. If you own a duplex, using that reference that you uh, had you noted earlier, um, you know even a, even a private duplex, you know the valuation went down. But but publicly traded stocks are more volatile because they're exposed to the market conditions and the and the sometimes irrational behavior you know of the market. And but but uh, again, the trade off is really this. It really comes down to the trade off is that liquidity. So you could invest in private real estate and not have that, uh, and, and, and you wouldn't have that liquidity, uh, or you can own shares and REIT, you'll have that liquidity, but you have more volatility. Now, the way we certainly, uh, my sales pitch is, you know, that's what I do for a living. I really cover all these companies, meaning I research a number of companies and number of sectors, so we can really try to find where's that, where's that margin of safety, where's that that uh, entry point to invest in that gives the investor the greatest advantage in terms of the stocks that they can be buying today. And I will say this, um, you know, the REIT market today, I just finished my newsletter, the Forbes Real Estate Investor, which comes out Monday, first of every month. Mm -hmm. And in and and the introduction of this uh, newsletter this month, I really talk about the comparison of publicly traded REIT stocks versus just normal stocks or equities. And, and as you know, I'm sure you've talked about this on your show. If you have other get other guests that have uh, been in the you know the stock market, I mean we're hitting all time highs right now. Oh, yeah. the, the, you know, and, and whether you know again trying to maintain a bipartisan you know approach here. Even though I wrote a book on Trump and I serve on his campaign advisory board, mm. um, I will say I mean we're the, the U.S. economy is booming right now. And if you own stock in about any company, you're seeing the, the wealth creation in the stock market today. However. In the REIT space, we really haven't seen the multiples trade up as much as we have in the overall stock market. So what I'm telling you is the valuations today for publicly traded REITs are very compelling. And what I mean by that is very attractive today. There is a wider margin of safety uh, with the publicly traded REITs than there are compared to ordinary you know, uh, stocks like Colgate, Palmolive, and all the blue chip names that you're, I'm sure you're familiar with. So it's a good time to be allocating to the sector. Um, over time, REITs have, have really dominated in terms of their performance. So if you go back and look at the last five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25, I said you could go all the way back to 50, 60 years. You know, REITs have not outperformed every year, but in most every five to 10 years, REITs have outperformed. And if you look back over a longer period of time, going back through multiple cycles, in general, REITs have delivered returns of around 11 to 12 percent per year, you know, going back over time on an average annualized basis, that's pretty reliable, pretty predictable performance. The other thing that I want to mention to you about REITs, Prince, is that you know, REITs, the special law, or the, the rule, I guess I, I could say, that, it, that applies to REITs that doesn't really apply to ordinary stock is that REITs must pay out 90% of their taxable income to investors in the form of dividends. Hmm. So when you, when you compare 
you know, a, a, a REIT, and I'll just say, for example, one of my favorite companies called Kimco, they're one of the largest, if not the largest shopping center landlord in the United States. Um, they pay out roughly about a seven and a half percent, roughly, I haven't checked today, but in round numbers, about a seven, seven and a half percent dividend yield. That's a very high yield, very mm-hmm. high yield for investors. And, you know, if you try to invest in any of those companies um, that Kimco rents from, like Home Depot, TJ Maxx, Walgreens, any of those companies, you're going to get a dividend yield of, of like 2% or something like that because corporations aren't forced like REITs to pay out dividends. REITs must pay out you know, a large majority of their taxable income, at least 90% of their taxable income, in the form of dividends. That's why those yields, like I mentioned, 7% are so high versus ordinary stocks. The other thing, and it kind of certainly relates to this same um, you know, rule that I mentioned earlier, is that you know corporations like Starbucks, Walgreens, um, you know they can they can obviously they want to increase dividends because there's certainly uh, an argument made that stocks that outperform are the ones that have dividend growth. That's why you see you know all these big blue chips, you know Consolidated Edison, Johnson and Johnson, Colgate, Palmolive, who've, had, who've got years and years of dividend increases. Uh, they've outperformed ordinary stocks because of that dividend growth. But mm. but with, what you got to understand, you know Colgate, Palmolive board or Starbucks board or Target's board, they, they could cut the dividend in any time. They don't have to pay out the amount of dividends they're paying out. So there's a lot of psychology that goes into this, whereas REITs, they're forced to. These CEOs and the management team don't have any choice. They have to pay out at least 90% of their taxable income. So that's why it's a very compelling property sector, and especially especially uh, here for, uh, friends for retirees, are really pre-retirees, people who are, and that really is everybody. When you think about retiree or pre-retiree, you know, you really talk about the whole universe because most people eventually want to retire and live off of the wealth that they've created. So we, we get a large number of followers and subscribers to our newsletter because of that. Retirees really look for that very consistent, stable, and sustainable dividend income because that's that's what we call sleep well at night investing. Hmm. Now, you said a lot there. One of the big things I just picked up on what you said was, the dividend growth, whereas in a corporate stock, doesn't have to pay dividends versus a REIT. It's required by the federal government that it has to pay out to its uh, investors and to its shareholders. Now, the thing about when you say that, what do you have to say to the person that says, well, if I buy a house or I buy a property, I have a real asset. I can see it. It's physical. I can touch it. You know, the economy goes bad. I can live there versus this wreath is just a synthetic thing on the market or whatever the case may be. So and another thing I want you to hit, too, is that so corporations are like a Starbucks or a Home Depot. They don't own the property. They actually rent that. Yeah, absolutely. So and really, that's really um, that's a, those are two great points. So first of all, let's talk about the um, the, the first point on. On versus, you know, a, a buying a stock versus buying a, a rental house. And that's a great point. One point that I really wanted to make is when you invest in a REIT, you're essentially, some of that money that's paid into that stock is part of the salary. You're actually funding the salary of the management team. So you've got to ask yourself, if you want to own, you know, one or two duplexes or, or other any other property that you own privately, you're going to have to either do it yourself or you're going to have to pay, you're going to have to pay somebody to collect that rent to fix that toilet, to fix that roof, you know, all, all the all the headaches. And I call it, you, you probably heard this before, but I call it the three T's of investing. 
you know, avoid the three T's, the toilets, the taxes, and the trash. You know, those are, those, those are headaches. Those are headaches that you don't want to have. Believe me, I used to own a lot of duplexes. It was so much fun going around on the first of each month. And I would, well, I had about 12 of them in one little neighborhood. So I, every Saturday, the first of the month, I'd walk around. I was, you know, I was a young kid and 25 years old. And I you know, think these tenants were paying me like 300 a month. I had so much cash in my pocket, 300, you know, you know, a couple thousand dollars. That was fun. But then you forget, okay, well, you got that money, but you got to pay the mortgage. You got to pay the taxes. What happens when the refrigerator breaks and the heating and air? Mm. And it's a lot, it's a lot of hard work. And if if you've ever owned a rental property, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is an aggravating business. Yes, you can make money, but in the REIT space, guess what? You don't have that. You're paying for professional management. And one thing that I will tell you, because I deal with CEOs every single day. Tomorrow I'll be speaking with Deborah Cafaro. She's the one of the greatest CEOs of all time. She works for a healthcare REIT called Ventos, which we got a buy on, by the way. Ticker symbol is BTR. They're one of the largest healthcare REITs in the country. They own hospitals. They own senior housing. They own medical office buildings and life science. Uh, great company. S&P 500 company. Mm. Um, and I know when I'm, I'm a shareholder in Ventos, so that means I'm, pay, I'm helping pay her salary. And, mm. and Deborah, and she's a CEO. She makes millions. She's one of the highest paid CEOs. But, but her management team, you know, is really the ones who manage that property. They keep it occupied. They pay the they pay the bills and they pay all the expenses. So that's number one. Always keep in mind, you know, you're going to have to pay somebody to management. And you're going to have to do it yourself. And there's an aggravation cost if you're doing it yourself. And you got to always factor that in. And I think you asked me the second question was about these corporations, like I mentioned, you know, Home Depot, Walgreens. You know, a lot of these companies do own real estate. But what what we found, and this is really really more of a uh, I think an evolution that we've seen is that companies like Home Depot don't really need to own real estate. It's a, it's companies that own that real estate. It's a heavy asset on their balance sheet. Um, and and when they so a lot of these companies they'll do what's referred to as sell leasebacks. So in other words, Home Depot will take a large tranche or portfolio of buildings and they'll sell those to a REIT on a, a long term lease basis. And that is that's a that's a very um, um, profitable deal for the for the company like Home Depot because they can utilize that cash and reinvest it in their business. So their return on equity for say when a Home Depot goes say say Home Depot sold a billion dollars of of real estate to one of these REITs and and they leased it back, paid rent every month. Well then Home Depot could take that billion dollars of capital, put it to work to to grow the business, which earns double digit returns, you know, 12, mm. 13, 14 percent returns. So that's why a lot of these companies don't own their real estate because they can utilize that capital more efficiently by by you know growing their businesses. And and the other thing I want to add, again, I'm, I'll be bipartisan here, I promise. But tax reform was a huge, huge home run for real estate, not just REITs, but real estate. So the advantages are, are tremendous in terms of the tax advantages. Even these corporations, I'll mention Home Depot and FedEx and all these major corporations that now are reinvesting back in their businesses um, and they're, they're increasing that because now we've got much more favorable depreciation laws in the, in the United States. So now a lot of this capital is being recycled. And that's why you're seeing uh, a, a boom uh, in terms of construction and this economy today because it's specifically related to the tax reform and, there, and the significant benefits 
of being an owner of real estate today uh, under this current administration. Okay. Wow. That was a lot there to uh, unpack. And you made some very uh, key points there with speaking about when you're owning uh, real estate itself, you have to worry about, you know, not just collecting that check on the first of the month, but you have to worry about when the refrigerator goes out, someone who didn't pay, you know, uh, housekeeping, all of the great stuff like that. Or you have to pay someone to do that versus with a real estate trust. You don't have to worry about that. Now, the thing I want to ask is, which one gains value faster? Like, you know, if I bought a house and I maintained it for, you know, three years and or what, uh, you know, I, I bought a duplex, I rented out the property and, you know, and now I can sell it five or six years later for more than I brought it, you know, as a property appreciates. Do REITs uh, appreciate in value the same as physical real estate? Well, you know, and that's a that's a great question. And, you know, again, I've, I've done studies and over time, publicly traded companies do outperform private real estate, not every year. And again, I go back to 2008, 2009. I mean, the stock market got hammered. So in those years, you certainly see where the, the private real estate, you know, performed better. But but again, over time, you know, REITs do outperform. And again, I go back to those 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 issues. But the, here's the thing. Here's the common thread. Uh, whether it's publicly traded or private real estate, the duplex owner versus buying shares in Kimco. And the re the way you make wealth in this country in real estate is the same way that John D. Rockefeller made his wealth. And that is through the power of compounding. So whether it's your rent check that comes in every month and you pay off, you use leverage. Obviously, leverage can be a valuable tool, but it can also be a disaster, too, if you don't, if you abuse it. And so, but by using, you know, moderate leverage and buying a, a rental property and keeping that tenant in there and, and keeping the, 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 the roof on, as long as you continue to compound that, you take, the, you take that income and you reinvest it, okay, that's called the power of compounding. Same thing in the REIT space. What I've seen a lot of investors do to really create wealth is to take their dividend income. And if, you don't, if you're not living off of it, you can reinvest that back into a, a direct reinvestment program, a drill. And that can, that's a great way to, to compound your wealth over time and really you know, create a, 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 a substantial portfolio. I'm writing an article tonight and I'm writing about, you know, there's these lotteries. I think the latest lottery, mega, lot, mega million lotteries up to 300 million. So I'm basically saying, hey, look, if I, if I win the lottery, um, I'm gonna take the lump sum. I'm not gonna take the 20 year. I'm gonna take the lump sum like 175 million. And then I'm saying, what are you going to do with that $175 million? You're not going to invest it all in REITs as much as I, I love this space, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, and I drink plenty of Kool-Aid in the REIT space. <laughs> it's important to diversify and have other investments. Obviously, the first thing I, I wrote about is going to Costa Rica for about a month. And that's, well, that's right off the top. That's my first cost, my first investment. But I, and I need a vacation, too. But. Um, but investing in REITs is a great time. And, and even for the average investor, who I'm sure is your audience, I'm sure, you know, institutions are better at doing private real estate because they can they can you know pay for their own management teams and all this. But, you know, if you want liquidity, I mean, think about it. I mean, all the expenses. I've got five kids. Three of them are at home. Two of them are, are you know, out of the house, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But there's all these expenses. There's braces. There's cars. There's insurance. There's every week I've got a different you know expense. So, you know, when you own REITs, you've got that liquidity button sitting there. If you need braces, mm -hmm. go sell some stock. You know, if you, if, you want, if you need that liquidity for a duplex, you got to take out a second mortgage. You know, you got wow. to find 
something crazy. So I just think for the average investor, the, the pros outweigh the cons. And, and again, it's not hard to invest. Uh, you know, if you don't want to be a do-it-yourself investor and build your portfolio, that's what I do with my newsletter. We, we put together portfolios for investors. So it's not hard to do. If, you, if, if, if that's a fear of, you know, kind of picking your, your, the companies you should be investing in, if that's the only fear, you know, please, you know, take a look at my newsletter. We always send out free copies and be glad to do that. But mm-hmm. that's, that's really critical. Um, but also, I would say today, and, and, you know, every investor has their own you know, risk tolerances. So I can't, I can't say on your show or any show or any articles I write that, you know, it, the, the, it's important to own, you know, 20% of your portfolio should be in REITs. But a minimum, I believe, of 10%. And mm. if you're if you feel like your risk tolerance there, if you're younger, or if you know, depending on how much disposable income you can allocate a month, the big thing is to start saving, invest in the, in these companies, and, and and this is the power of wealth creation today. And again, stock it's important also to own stocks, but real estate, again, over time has outperformed the stock market, most any other asset class, and it's definitely a compelling, compelling. Uh, category today to invest in. Okay, awesome. Definitely. So now, when you go out and find your REITs and you put out your newsletter, how do you figure out which companies to say, hey, you know, I want, you know, this one? How do you, wh- what is your edge? What is your, what, sure. is, what is your secret sauce? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a traditional value investor, which means, again, going back to the original intelligent investor, Benjamin Graham and now Warren Buffett. Today and uh, that means you know, we we take deep dives. We're very granular. I look at stocks and spend hours and hours, you know, a day breaking down just like a you know a car. I'll break down the pieces and look and look under the hood. And I want to see you know I want to see first at a high level you know what the company's doing. What is their sector? Are we talking healthcare? Are we talking data centers? Are we talking shopping centers? And then we look at their portfolio. We look at where they're located. Uh, what markets are located? What are the t- tenants in that portfolio? Then we drill down even further and we say, oh, what are the problem tenants that we see? For example, retail has seen a lot of um, distress. So, you know, do we want to have, um, obviously, a Sears? We don't want to have Sears in the portfolio um, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So we look at the, you know, the makeup of the portfolio, the geographic makeup, the tenant makeup. Then I take a really deep look into the balance sheet. The balance sheet is tremendously important. Look at the health of that company. That's going to tell us how sustainable that dividend is. If a company has extremely a large amount of leverage or there's issues there with debt that's, that's maturing, that the company doesn't know how they're going to handle that debt responsibility, you know, that's a red flag. So we really look at the, at the, at the debt components. Uh, then we look at the earnings. I mean, earnings are the best predictor of the company's future success. And, and the, the great advantage we have, and, the, and this is a tremendous advantage we have in the REIT space versus any other sector, is when we invest in real estate, we, we really invest in companies that have leases with tenants. So it could be like self-storage, it's really a month, which is a month-to-month lease. Hotels, you really think about it as a day-to-day lease. When you when you check into a hotel, you sign a lease for one day that you're gonna use that hotel room and the gym or whatever, you know, for one day or two days or however long you're there. So but but it's important to look at these leases, and because companies that have longer-term leases, we can estimate m- much better. Uh, and predict much better what the p- potential success of future earnings and dividend growth of that company is because we, c- we can look at the, the lease income that's being generated and the lease income that, that will, will be generated in the future. So we, we analyze the earnings and the dividend growth and the safety of the dividend, making sure 
that the company can pay very stable dividend and increase that dividend. Dividend growth is essential. When we see companies that don't grow that dividend, that is a red flag because dividend growth is extremely, extremely critical to the investing process, whether it's a REIT or, or a stock. Then we, once, we, once we have all that data, which takes you know, a couple hours, uh, then we look down at the, at the value metrics of the company. How is the company uh, valued today versus, say, the peer group? We don't need to compare you know, a mall REIT to an office REIT. That makes no sense. That's apples and oranges. But we do, what we do, though, however, is compare mall REITs to other mall REITs. So I'll have Simon Properties, the largest mall REIT in the country. I want to compare the share price valuation, the dividend yield, and the, value, you know, the overall evaluation, net asset valuation, to the closest peers, which would be companies like Tallman and Naseridge, which has a really nice mall in Denver mm. uh, or outside of Denver, um, and a number of others. So we look at, you know, look at those competitors within that space, and then we determine you know, if the company has a margin of safety or if there's a cushion, if you will. We don't want to buy stock when it's expensive. Uh, that's dangerous. So we really look for what I call the SWAN. You know, we look for these SWANs, and we actually – uh, SWAN stands for sleep well at night. And so we look for these companies that, that really score very highly on all of those metrics that I just mentioned, including valuation, because that's extremely important. I and mean, we may find a company that looks really great on paper and it's got a great balance sheet, a great dividend, a great management team. But yet if the price of the shares are outrageous, we're not going to touch the stock because that's, that's stupid to buy something overpriced. So we've got to look for these companies that are trading at sound value or really at a margin of safety. So we look for the bargains. I mean, that's really the key. And it's no different, you know, when you're buying uh, private real estate. You don't, want to buy, you don't want to overpay to buy duplex. You know, you want to look for a bargain that you can, you know, fix and fix it up and rent it out and make money on it. So it's the same concept, buy low, sell high, whatever you want to call it. That's really critical to the investing process. Okay. Awesome. That was not... Before we get out of here, you know, I learned a lot. You know, I want to hit on some of the things that uh, we spoke about today. We, we spoke about water reefs. Um, we spoke about how they work. What are the pros and cons of them? Uh, comparing them to physical real estate versus uh, just going in and just buying something. But uh, we also spoke about, you know, how companies rent out, you know, uh, sell their leases to REITs and uh, lease themselves out and things like that the pros and cons of everything and how to get involved with them and why should they be a part of the average investor's um, portfolio. But one thing I got to ask you before you get out of here, Brad, how did you meet President Trump and how was he? <laughs> okay, so, um, you know, I guess, you know, I'll tie it back into my, my career. I mean, I was, uh, I've been in real estate for shoot, over 30 years now, but um, in 1988, there was a book that was published Called the Art of the Deal. Oh yeah, um, that was Trump's very first book. It was a uh, New York Times bestseller. It was, in fact, the best-selling book that we've ever seen on Trump. And, and boy, we're seeing quite a few of these pros and cons book now, pros and cons book on, on Trump today. Mm -hmm. But 1988, nobody knew who Trump was until this book came out, and that was the same year that I got out of college. So I remember my first job. I was sitting in a cubicle, uh, just an entry-level job, and I want to get into real estate, and you know, it's commission only. And I'm sitting in this cubicle and I thought, you know, I'm not going to get an MBA. I'm just going to go dive right in it, but I need some help. And I read The Art of the Deal. And that mm -hmm. was really my MBA. That was my, you know, he, Trump was a mentor to me in the real estate world because we saw the success of what he had done, you know, especially then in Manhattan before he expanded, you know, really internationally. So I kind of followed his career. Um, I ended up being a developer myself. 
And then I went through the crash of 2008, 2009. It was a tough time for me. It was a tough time for anybody. I mean, it, you know, case in point, Smith, uh, Lehman Brothers and Smith Barney and, uh, and Bear Stearns are, are not around. So, you know, it was a tough time for everybody in the financial universe. And so I really had a, had a you know, a transformational time in my life where I decided, you know, maybe I should educate investors. Maybe I should uh, take all the lessons learned and all the you know, tough times, the adversity that I've gone through in my life and really create a product to help educate investors. So I started writing uh, literally from my dining room table and then I started to build a following and I ended up having, you know, a thousand followers and 5,000 and 50,000. And now it's growing to over 100,000 followers hmm. and several thousand subscribers. And so I, about three years ago, I couldn't handle the workload. I needed a partner and Forbes approached me about uh, a business deal and, and we, we did it. And so I took my product and became kind of uh, operated under the Forbes umbrella. Um, and Forbes is a valuable company. I mean, Forbes is a trusted brand. Forbes mm -hmm. has been around over 100 years. And, and I will tell you, I mean, having, having that relationship from Forbes has been really pivotal, pivotal to my success. It's opened up a lot of doors. So to your point, um, I walked into Trump Tower about four or five years ago um, and always wanted to meet the guy who wrote The Art of the Deal. That led to another meeting and another meeting and another meeting and eventually a book. And then he became president and we still have on, ongoing dialogue and a new book deal that I'm in negotiating uh, with right now. So it's uh, it's been a it's been a crazy ride. Um, I never believed, you know, he would win. But, I, you know, but but, but I'll, I'll say I knew he could. I was supportive of him all the way. Uh, I've probably gone to more rallies than anybody uh, and I could probably memorize his speech. And I will say. You know, again, I, I try to be bipartisan all, all the way. Um, you know, again, you, you have me on the show to talk business, not politics. But I'll say, especially, you know, on the on the business side, on his business policy, uh, he has hit all cylinders. Everything he said at all the dozens of rallies that I've attended, uh, he's delivered. He's delivered on his promises. And frankly, that's why you're seeing the success in the stock market today. And so, uh, you know, I, I think he's done he's done a great job. And uh, it's great. To, it's great to have that relationship with the president of the United States. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Is there uh, definitely, is there anything you want to say before you get out of here? Anything you want to leave you know, the listeners and the followers with? I think I just, I want to get back on the show. I want to get to Denver and, uh, you, oh, know, yeah, in, you know, in, in person and I uh, love Skype, but I love in person too. So we'll have to do that real soon. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll love to see you here live in the studio here in Denver. But, um, but for everybody out there, that is Brad. Oh, Brad, so how can people get in contact with you? How can they get your, uh, um, your, your new subscriptions? How can they find you? All of the great stuff like that. Your books sure, absolutely. So, so, you know, I've got a couple of ways. One is I do have, I'm on Twitter. I'm not that active. I'm not like the president, but I'm at R, <laughs> R, at R Brad Thomas at Twitter. Uh, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn, Brad Thomas, you know, Forbes. And uh, also, we have you go to Forbes, Forbes Real Estate Investor. If you scroll down to the bottom of the Forbes page, there's a little link to the Forbes Real Estate Investor. And again, that's been a really successful product for us. We've got thousands of subscribers and, and satisfied customers. So uh, always welcome. And again, if you want to get a hold of me in any of those places, always give you know, about free newsletters. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, it's, just, it's a great business. And obviously, I love what I do. I love helping people. And it's been a great, uh, great opportunity for me to you know, be on the show today with you. All right. Thank you. 
Well, Brad Thomas, it was nice uh, having you on today. Hopefully, we get to see you here live in the studio in Denver. Uh, but as for everybody that's out there, don't forget to check out the description box to check out more for the people who are catching a playback to actually see or to catch up with uh, Brad Thomas and some of the great stuff he's doing over there at uh, Forbes. And as always, my name is Prince Dykes. This is the Prince of Investing. Until the next video, podcast, cartoon, book, or whatever else you see me do crazy around the globe, peace, be safe, I'm out, and thank you. Oh, you bet. I'm <laughs> sorry.